personality, over-prefacing, so just forgive me. Um, but for those of you who will appreciate this, you can feel free to say thanks. Uh, we're, we're, um, the, our space uh, is wonderful, and Gloria Day, who is the church that um, uh, owns this building, uh, who meet downstairs, they have a morning service and an afternoon service, um, that you notice sometimes right in the middle of my talk, you hear like, right? And it's kind of great. Some of you are like, oh, finally, some like distraction from Andrew going on. And the rest of you, it's a little bit distracting. Um, so we've just been doing a little experiment, so we'd love feedback on this, but of just like playing the um, synthesizer a little bit in the back. So those of you who come from uh, like big church Pentecostal, this is like you love this, or you're having like a PTSD flashback. Um, either way, please know that this is not an attempt to emotionally manipulate you, but rather um, help you uh, help us be able to focus better. I realize too we say that, but for some people it actually may work the other way. They're like, actually hearing a Yanni synthesizer behind your talk doesn't actually trigger any emotions in me. Um, <laughs> second, <laughs> second comment is. Uh, an exciting announcement, which uh, leaked out a little bit online, uh, and we just decided to leave it up. But on Easter Sunday, we don't put it up yet, on Easter, for those of you who don't know, on Easter Sunday, last year, there were 415 or so people here. That was like our rough, pretty much rough, and I might have been a little more than that. Balcony was full. There was literally no space. It's really hard to even squish people in in pews, right? If you were sitting in a seat, you're okay with like three inches between you when you're in a pew. You know, you sit about this far away. Um, so if you do have any room, you could slide in. This, uh, so there are two things. One, Gloria Day, again, they meet uh, up here at 11 o'clock. It's the one, one Sunday a year they ask um, that they could meet up here because this is their building and we figured, you know, you guys get first dibs. Uh, so that's why every year, if you've been with us, we do Easter a little bit early. Easter service is at 9 o'clock. That's because we need to get out of here by 10, 15, 10, 30. Um, so this year we were wrestling with what are we going to do about the space issues because we've grown as a community in general and Easter is a day where sort of everybody shows up at the same time and brings guests and family. Um, so we thought about doing an early morning service. Uh, like a like a kind of a sunrise type service to release some of the pressure for those of you who are early risers. Would have to be at like seven o'clock for us to do it. Uh, how many of you would have come to a seven o'clock service? Oh wow! All right. Well, we know that next year. That's great. Well, we were ready to move forward potentially on that, and then we got a uh, a call from the Providence Place Mall. Which, by the way, I hope you are always sweet to the attendants. The Providence Place Mall does not have to hook us up with these, these free passes. Sanctuary does not pay for that. That is not an expense. Uh, the, actually, the, the head of facilities at the Providence Place Mall is a follower of Jesus um, and gifted these passes to us to be able to use, which is amazing. So he, by the grace of God and, and just being on top of things, he called us to tell us, hey, by the way, on Easter Sunday, the garage will be open, but the mall will be closed. So I was like, oh, that's fine. It doesn't affect us. He's like, yeah, but this is what will. There's a... Um, the largest military-grade helicopter that basically exists in the country will be flying air conditioning units from the roof of the mall over to the green by the train station and then flying new ones back, 16 of them, between 7 a.m. and 2 p.m. So we would be, you know, we hear sirens go by and little, like, kick drums from downstairs. So imagine, like, 
right? Like, the king is risen. Like, everybody down. So we thought that might interfere a bit with the, uh, the vibe. Um, and so we were already, because of the two-service issue, already actually looking at spaces, and an incredible opportunity opened up at the Columbus Theater, uh, which I don't know if you've been to the Columbus Theater, but it's absolutely beautiful theater. Um, uh, if you include the balcony, it's like 800 seats, but just on the, on the floor, it's 600, which is like a perfect size. We have plenty of room for some great kids programming, and we have some really fun things planned. Um, and we realized as we were doing this, this is just an incredible opportunity to even leverage for the city. A lot of folks who wouldn't walk through the doors of a church will walk through the doors of the Columbus Theater. They went and saw Iron and Wine last weekend. Would they maybe come back to church the week after? And so we are going to push really, really hard. And we're going to be uh, over the, even the next week letting you know of some ways that you can get the word out about this. Um, you know our heart as a church. This isn't about like getting a big gathering so we feel good about ourselves. We want to be a community that is demonstrating and announcing the good news of Jesus. And we are desperate for our city to know the love of Jesus. And so we want to encourage you. As you know, with Easter Sunday, we really try to make this a, a, something where the gospel is clear. Um, and it's an open space for people to really engage well. And so we just want to encourage you to invite your friends to this. You'll be hearing more info about this. But we are super, super, super excited about being able to, uh, to do Easter at the Columbus Theater. And then a last just Thanksgiving, um, I put out, or Corey and I, my wife and I, put out um, a call on a little private group that we have to some of our supporters, um, folks that don't live around here who pray for us and help out with sometimes financial needs. And uh, this wasn't in our budget. All right, so this is like $1,500 to rent a theater. And we're like, wow, that is a lot. Um, uh, I mean, not a lot for Boston, New York prices, but a lot for, for us for a one-day service. So we're like, do we really want to do this? And we hadn't pulled the trigger yet. Um, and then we just put it out there to our, our, these friends of ours just to say, hey, would anyone have it on their heart to help us out with this? Uh, and within three hours, it was paid for. So it's all taken care of with no money from the congregation. Yeah, like that's okay to like cough for that. That was like a really beautiful gift and we can continue the, the, to, to give the where we feel called to give this, this next season with our money and that was just something that was taken care of. So we're really excited about that. Um, thank you, Sarah, for praying for us. For me, I wanna pray for you as we take a few minutes exploring the scriptures. God, this service has already felt a bit full, Lord. We, we uh, affirming, Lord, that you are the God of new life. The resurrected king is resurrecting us. You are raising us to new life in you. We have taken moments to be honest with our own doubt and heard an invitation from you to, uh, to trust in your grace that for you so loved the world that you gave your only son whoever or would believe in you will not will not perish will not live a life of death is not is not destined for 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 a, a, an eternity separate from you lord but with you in in heaven and being able to live that now lord we thank you that We've heard these words of, of forgiveness and reconciliation and new life that are found in you god we've uh, heard stories of people in our community of their journey in walking with you. We've been able to give generously, um, Lord, to make sure there are no needy among us and to, to raise up new people to equip our body to be the, the community we're called to be. All of this, Lord, that we've just done in the last 40 minutes, um, we're just grateful for. Lord, we want to kind of seal that, 
all of that, like the goodness of what you're doing. And so as we finish our time together with studying the scriptures and with uh, rallying around the, the one thing that almost all of us agree on in this room, which is the Eucharist, the, the, the Christ body and blood broken, the grace that is at the center of everything, as we close our time with these two elements, with the studying of your word, of the taking of communion, I pray, Lord, you give us a, a, an expectant heart. You open our minds in, in such a way that we would be able to hear fresh what you have for us. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. So this text, I'm gonna do two things, three things. I'm gonna walk through the text that Sarah just read to us and um, uh fancy theological where I'm exegete the text. In other words, I'm going to just kind of go through and look at some of the words. Here's what this means. Here's, here's why this kind of stands out. Here's why the English translation, you know, is, is, is right, but it doesn't kind of do justice to the power of this, this, this. And hopefully just give you a sense of what's going on in here. And then uh, I'm going to sh- kind of illustrate two kind of major things that I think are happening in this text. So if you're new with us, we've been going through the book of 1 John which is written by, uh, most scholars agree, a very old man named John who actually ran with Jesus back in the day. He was a part of Jesus' story. He was like there with him. He saw things. And now he's writing to a church that is undergoing some kind of conflict. There's some sort of thing happening. We don't exactly know what it is. There's a lot of speculation. And where all the speculation is in agreement is that it was something that was going to divide this community. There are issues of like identity of who they really were and who they believed Jesus to be. So we decided to, whoa, we decided to go through 1 John in the season of Lent because one of the main themes in this is that God is a God of light. There's all of these texts about confession, confession, confession. In light of God being the, like, God being love, we're told in this, in this book, this is where we actually get the phrase, God is love. The text that Sarah just read, God has lavished us with his love. And this love, the metaphor that's predominantly used for God then, the rest of this text is God is a God of light. When you allow, one way to put it would be when you let the love in, it begins to expose all the places where there is not love where there are good passions that have gone astray, where there are areas of brokenness and hurt, areas where we are willfully like not aligning ourselves with the way of God. The Leonard Cohen quote we've been putting out there, that there are cracks in everyone and that's how the light gets in. There are these cracks in us we know and are we willing to kind of allow our, the places of brokenness and sin in our life to be actually places where God heals and letting the light in. Famous quote from Dr. King, darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. We often think about that in like driving out the darkness of the world. We're sort of using that, that sentiment to talk about our own hearts this year, or this season of Lent. Darkness can't drive out, only light can do that. So as we jump into this text here, right out of the gate, we have this uh, as now, and now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, this word appears is a, le- is a light that if we trace the roots, it's kind of where we get like phosphorescent. This is a, a word, again, that relates back to this major theme of light. It's when the lights come on. There's going to be a moment, 
And we don't get a lot of details, but like ultimately when God's going to like expose everything for what it is. When Jesus returns, there's these pictures of like somehow at the end. One way of saying it is, is human history is headed somewhere. We quote this phrase often, which is often quoted by, quote, quoted, quoted, quoted by people of, of the, the, the arc of the, uh, of the universe bends towards justice. This sentiment is one that it's going somewhere. That even though as we see the brokenness, that, that ultimately God, we as followers of Jesus believe, is making all things new in and through us, but we'll do some sort of decisive thing at the end. This is when the lights come on. He goes on, so when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before his coming. Confident. Here is, um, is, is like a, most scholars agree, and there's a few other places in the text that I'm going to skip just for the sake of time this morning, where this word comes up. It actually comes up three times just in 1 John. So this word confidence is like a really big, bold, loud word. There is no English equivalent. So the best thing I can say, this is like confidence where like the volume is turned up a little bit on it. Like we have a, we have a, 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 a parousia is the word, is the Greek word. You want to say parousia with me? But there's a peru, we have a, we have a confidence. Confidence kind of feels like, yeah, we're feeling rather confident. Someone yelling the word confidence at me. That's kind of how one scholar puts it. It's just like, you have no idea. We can rest in this. We have a confidence we are confident and unashamed before his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. See what great love. This is in a particular imperative um, uh, uh, can't remember, it doesn't matter. Um, in the language, the way in which this term is used uh, is, again, similar to confidence in that it's a proper translation of the word see, but it's like someone typing this out in caps lock. It would be the way in which this is actually the tense, imperative tense is what I was looking for, that this is written in. So it would be like see. So this is you trying to tell your friends, like, this is really important. This is with the caps lock. This is illuminated. See, I need to see this, an important shift. That's actually why some people argue that the 3-1 begins actually here, why they broke it up, because this is sort of a whole new energy and statement. And then we get to this conclusion that the love is so great, your love is so great that we should be called children of God. The common theme in First John that comes out in John is that, um, there are people, right, that don't actually recognize this love and they don't recognize the people that are marked for it. So he goes on, the reason the world does not know us, he's talking about this church, is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. We shall be like him. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. 
This idea actually comes up in two other places if you want to just write them down. Again, for the sake of time, I'm not going to go into them. But 1 Corinthians 15.49 is one. 1 Corinthians 15.49 and the second is 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we get in both of these texts this, this idea of what we will be will be like as he is. The idea that we will be like him is not new. That when the lights are turned on, when we see him fully, something will happen to us. Like there's something God is up to in the world and there's something that God is up to in us. In the, in the verse 49, we'll bear the image of the heavenly man. In the second text, it, we will be like Christ. We will be similar all the, way, all the way through. At some point, all this will be revealed. But what we are has not yet been made known. I wanted to kind of walk through this text a little bit and give you some key words here because this all sounds a little bit confusing. There's something that's, at the end, God's going to kind of shine this light and somehow this light is already entering into the world. Again, this is metaphorical language of of, of heaven is breaking out. And that in some way, when we actually see Jesus face to face, we will be fully like him, but what that will look like has not yet been made known. But we're supposed to... There's something about that that this church should know as they're going through all this conflict and controversy that we should actually be attentive. He wants these first people to see your children of God. See, this is what you are. What you fully will be has not yet been made known. God is doing something in you. God is doing something in the world. And we somehow can align ourselves with that. I want to turn your attention to the screen for a minute. This is my buddy Nick. Hey, Nick. Some of you know Nick Cole. Uh, he's an absolutely brilliant illustrator in our community, storyteller. Um, that's actually a Play-Doh version of him on his mouth, if you can see it, um, that he made. Uh, he does a lot of work with Play-Doh and Hasbro as well. Um, so I want to show you in a minute. So I walked into uh, Bolt Coffee the other day, and Nick was sitting there, and he was using his iPad uh, Pro, and he was working on a piece, and he played back a recording, right, because it records all of his actions of getting to what was, at the end, this beautiful piece, and, um, and it was amazing seeing, like, the process of it, and at first, and what I'm going to show you actually wasn't the piece he was working on, um, but a, a different one where he's kind of has these recordings of the whole process from the very beginning to the very end. Would you, would you hit play on that? So this is his desktop. And like what Nick's exactly making at this point, like we don't really have an idea. Right? How many of you who haven't actually seen this, like know like the final product, like you don't know what the final product's going to be. In fact, the more he draws, the more I am utterly confused as to what's going on and where this is going. But what's he doing? Yeah, so if we were to show, so go to the next slide. That's not what he's drawing here. But this is some of his work. I'm not exactly sure what this is. I should have asked Nick what this was from. Next slide. Red, oh, sweet. These were drawings. So he, uh, he did the uh, Maleficent, um, the, the illustrated book for Maleficent when the movie came out, Angelina Jolie. Yeah, you know, no big deal. 
This is, this is um, when I look at this, I, I feel like I know it's Nick, even if I hadn't known that he had done this. Next slide. There's something about Nick's use of, of movement that always kind of gets me, where everything just feels a bit whimsical. Next slide. This is uh, one of his personal product, projects, Jellybots, that he's working on. He's a great storyteller. His stories um, are, are, are allow you to, to, to really step into a deeper place of feeling and understanding what's happening in your own heart. They're these stories of redemption and struggle. Next slide. This is kind of a zoomed-in picture. Of, like This is like how I always, like I know Nick's work is kind of going to, It'll be popping with color. And even when he's doing things that are, are in, in different genres, a bit, I, I always have this, this sense, right, that there's something consistent about the artist. I can see the artist here. Next slide. It evokes this just fun and ridiculousness. In fact, if you know Nick, it is all this kind of weirdly makes sense. All right, there's this like, there's this... That was the wrong slide to show when this came up, but there's like a, a you know, if you go back, or if you go to the next one, there's like a tenderness. Oh, no, I can get rid of that. That's the last one. It, there's, a, there's a tenderness, and then there's just like an absolute goofiness. Some of the videos I was actually uh, watching of him on YouTube, you know, it's, it's him drawing some of these beautiful pieces, and then at the same time, he's um, like singing, I think, like the, goof, the Goofy movie like in the corner. It's all very confusing, but it, there's something there's something beautiful and, and captivating. And, and it, if you knew these stories, and go, go back to the last slide again. Yeah, there's something like in the, in the eyes and in the movement and in the color. So if we go back to the, to the video for a minute, like we, what's Nick painting in this video? I don't know, and we're not gonna we're not gonna sit here for ten minutes and get the answer. Because what, like what John is saying here is what will be has not yet been made known. What will ultimately will be, but but we know the artist. I don't know what this will ultimately look like, but I do know what Nick's work looks like. I. I I have this sense when I hear his stories, when I see his voice manifest in color and in line and in movement. I don't know what we will be, ultimately, John's saying, but, but we know the artist. We know the artist. How does this section start? If you have your Bibles open, go back to verse 28. And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, he may, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed at his coming. Continue in him. This is this word, meno. It's this word, continue to abide, to stay. I meet people all the time, all the time, who are deeply frustrated with who they are, 
deeply frustrated with what they're becoming. In fact, it was very intentional that we did the service the way that we did in the beginning here because I wanted to hopefully stir up a spirit of honesty. Because when we're really honest, there's often a frustration, especially in a season of Lent. What can happen is for those of you that are like walking through the devotional that we have or you're just even fasting from some things and realizing, man, I'm a slave to stupid things like coffee, never mind some bigger things in my life. That we get actually kind of stuck and frustrated with who we are. And in part, one of the themes I see here in the book of John that gets highlighted here is the artist is still working. In Ephesians, um, Paul says that we are, we're works of art. One speaker says, you're like a piece of work. You're a piece of work. You're, 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 you're a poem, an artwork. This, you, you are in process. And John is saying this word meno is continue. Continue in who God says that you are. I don't know fully what we will become, he says, but, but I know what the artist is like. I know the character of the artist. Scholars point out that John does not speculate very much about what the end will be. John doesn't speculate much about what heaven will look like and what life looks like after we die or how all of this like mysterious sense of God at work in me fleshes out. John simply says there will be a moment. There will be a, a moment where all will be revealed. And then says, now you continue in his love. John, John doesn't say more. He doesn't speculate. He just says, continue. Continue. Meno. Abide. Abide. Continue. Rest. You are in process. What you will be has not yet been made known. What does it mean to be present? To stop and be still. Week three in a season of honesty and confession. A week where the last two talks I've given have been like, repent because we are jacked up people. Halfway through, we want to stop and go... Where is there despair of like who you are or what's happening or I can't get this together or this stuff isn't lining up the way that it's supposed to? I'm deeply frustrated with who the idea is, who we are becoming. We can align ourselves with what we do know about who Jesus says that we are and what he is doing in our heart. Continue, continue, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before his coming. So continue in him so that we might align ourselves. This one writer tells a story kind of about this speculation of like what will be. And he's speaking in a bit about, about heaven, but he, he ends up referencing this section and he, and he, he kind of gives this picture. If while wandering around the inside of an art museum, I come across a door that's solidly locked shut. So I'm walking around an art museum, I come across a door that's shut, what do I do? There's two things I could do. If I'm really emotionally immature, he says, I, I can come to this and I can like, like, I don't know, like be frustrated. It's sort of like the road rage moment if there is one in a museum, right? Like I come down, like, ah, oh, 
right? You're like having a bad moment, so you shake at the door. You try to get through. You can't really get through. You know, if you're really emotionally immature, right, we'll just like, like drop, like, like pout at the door. You try to look underneath the door, like through the lock. You want to get through. This is somebody who's got some serious issues wanting to get into this other room. If you're really emotionally immature, right, you're just going to like kind of come to this door and simply want to know why this is not unlocked, why I can't get through, and, and pout. But if mature, he says, I will simply assume that those in charge of the museum know what they're doing and for whatever reason don't want people going in that room. And that would be good enough for me. So I would turn away from the door, forget about the room, and go back into the museum where all of these wonderful works of arts are waiting, art are waiting to enlighten and inspire me. He goes on to comment, I think locking the door between this life and whatever is on the other side of this life is God's way of telling us to get our butts back in the museum. Is that good? I, 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 there's not a whole lot of speculation John's doing. Who you are and what's happening, all this stuff that God wants to make new in you, what you become ultimately is not yet known. We do know that something beautiful when we are in the presence of Jesus fully, we will be changed. And a consistent theme throughout the scripture is are you bringing yourself into alignment with the way of heaven? Are you allowing God to be the strength of your life Allowing God to shape you and reorient you around some fundamental things. Like, see what great love the Father has lavished on us. Like, align yourself with that. See? See? That's what you are. If I, like, got a bunch of our kids up here, right? And parents, like, you're looking up at them. And, and if I ask them, where's your parent? I guarantee you every single one of them would be very quick to go over there. There, they always know where mom and dad are. Like imagine this moment, or imagine you're, you're, maybe you'll have children in the future. Like looking out and going, that's what God loves me like. Like God loves me like I love my kids. See what, see what great love the father has for us. This is what I do know. This is what we do know about who Jesus is. This is what we do know about how God is calling us. See, there's a reason we return to the simple things of grace over and over and over and over. It's because it will literally change everything about you all the time, guaranteed, no matter what. It will shift and begin to reorient more and more because this is what we do know about who God says that we are. And we can begin to then live in line with that because of his grace and because of what he has done. It's not that we love God, but that God loved us. He sent his son for us. This is what we do know. Continue in that. You are a piece of work. As you move more and more toward the light, you are being conformed more and more to his image. Continue in that. I know some of you are struggling and beat down with where you're at and you wish you were here and you wish that was worked out in this way and you wish you didn't have this character thing and honestly, Lent is bringing up all this stuff and you really don't want to come to church anymore because it's exhausting. And I just want to remind you that John here is like, hey, we, what we'll become, what we will become is not yet known. I don't know how the drawing's gonna work out Oh, I know the artist. 
I know who he is. I know what he's like. I know the kinds of things that he draws. I know the sort of story that he is telling. I know, I know that. I know that. I know that I don't need to speculate about tomorrow. I don't need to speculate about how this will all flesh out. I I could, I could spend some time doing that. But maybe we need to come to the locked door and turn around. I need to come to the door, see that it's locked, and then turn around and go back into the museum and see all that is to be seen. See all that we do know about who we are and about what he is up to in the world. One translation of this passage says, what marvelous love the Father has extended us, extended to us. Just look at it. We're called children of God. That's who we really are. But that's also why the world doesn't recognize us or take us seriously because it has no idea who he is and what he's up to. Because it doesn't know the artist. In fact, it has a hard time with trusting the artist. And it has a harder time even trusting the story. Continue in what we do know. And he says, see, see, see what great love the Father has for us. I find this really interesting, you may not, but scholars, they point out this. That all of this controversy that this writer John is trying to address here, that this apparently is the moment for a number of reasons I don't have time to get into, that they believe that John is actually calling them out. Like this, this is actually the part where he is being kind of like brutal with him. This is where he, um, one scholar literally says, this is where the writer John attacks. I'm like, this is the attack? The attack is, see, look at the love that God has lavished. Like th- this is it? This is the metaphor, his answer, like, Isn't it awesome that we fundamentally, (laughs) that that the fundamental way we understand the divine God, the way that we understand our spirituality is that God loves us and he feels about us how we feel about our kids. This is where he attacks. It's because the questions of who God is were in question here. The controversy was around what is Jesus like? Who is he? Is he truly God? Does God want us to to do X, Y, or Z? What is God's posture towards us? These are all the speculations around what was happening here. And John charges in, in a context where every other religious system and ideology would have been, what do I need to earn, and what do I need to do, and what do I need to do in order to get this right? And you have John saying, he attacks by saying, hey, see what great love the Father has lavished on you, that you would be called children of God. Which is why it makes so much sense when he goes on later and says things like, um, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, the sin is lawlessness. But we know that he appeared so that he might take away our sin. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. In other words, sin is actually the the very thing that doesn't align with the, the very fundamental traits of who God is and who God says about you. Continue in him. Continue in his grace. Continue in his love. Continue in walking in the way that you know to be true about who he is. Walk in line with what it means to be a child of God. Because in responding to the love and grace of God, then we have a trust 
that God has come to give us life and life to the full. And how he makes sense of how we are supposed to live is true and we begin to trust that. Continue in him. Continue. We know, we don't know how this is all gonna work out. I don't know how this situation you're going through is going to to, to work out. I don't know how it's all, I don't know who I'm ultimately becoming, but I do know the artist. I do know what it is to walk faithfully today in a freedom that I am loved and set free and that that begs all these questions of what it means to be holy, to walk in purity and truth. The world does not always recognize. We here do not always recognize, John's saying, like who God is. They don't recognize like what's happening in our own hearts. It's because they don't know the artist and they don't know what the artist is up to. May we be people who are grounded in this table, are grounded in the love and mercy and grace of Jesus. Halfway through this season, we wanted to reorient ourselves the way John seems to orient his people and say, continue, continue in him, continue. Keep walking in line and in light of who God says that we are. There's a piece of communion liturgy I want us to read together if you're comfortable. You wanna put that up on the screen? The communion right after communion liturgy, there it is. Would you read with me? Open our eyes to see your hand at work in the world about us. Deliver us from the presumption of coming to this table for solace only and not for strength, for pardon only and not for renewal. Let the grace of this holy communion make us one body one spirit in Christ that we may worthily serve the world in his name. Risen Lord, be known to us in the breaking of the bread. Can you go back to the first slide? We don't just come to this table for solace. We don't just come to be reminded that our sins have been taken away. We come to this table for strength. We come to this table that it might empower us to continue. We take a literal physical piece of bread and we dip it in a cup because sometimes we need to like get some of this on us and in us. We need to feel it and taste it and own it so that we might continue in the reality of what God has done for us. This is what we do know. This is what is in the museum. Let me pray for us. Lord, help us to see. Help us to see what great love you've lavished on us. Help us to see us to see 
Lord, only you can save. Help us to see. Only you can give us a strength, a power to move forward into who you've created us to be, to walk closer and closer, Lord, aligned with the things of heaven. Help us to see. Strengthen us to see. We don't come to this table for solace only and for pardon only. We come to this for strength. Would you renew us today, Lord? May we take the very real life stresses and anxieties and hurts and aches and bring them to the table and say, Lord, I, want, I need to see right now who I am first and foremost in you. I need to continue in you. Some of us, we need to hear the call of the end of this text, Lord. We need to hear, that, uh, don't keep on sinning. People who walk in a pattern of practicing death, these are people that don't really know you. They're not really responding to this love and grace. They're not trusting who you are and what you've said about them, Lord. I pray for those that need to repent and turn back that they would do that this morning. They for those this morning that need to be agents of this love to those around them. That they've never been more at rest and sure of who you say that they are. And that today would be a day of new and fresh responses to that. And now, dear children, Continue in him so that when he appears, you may be confident and unashamed before his coming. If you know that he is like righteous, he is just, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. We, we, we're becoming more like him. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God and that is what we are that is what we are. Help us to continue in you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. So hi. I'm up here for a reason. This room was designed uh, very intentionally. This is up high um, for all sorts of audio reasons in this top. But there's a reason why this structure isn't in the middle. In most high church traditions, this preaching of the word, which is what would happen here, is important. Central. That's why they built a little fort for it. But it's not, cent- it's not the most central thing. It is not literally the center of the gathering of the community. No, see, what actually would exist traditionally on that white table there below the screen is what we've just put down there, is the Eucharist. It is see what great love the Father has lavished on us. This act of love is what God has done. This room is designed for this word, see. Caps lock, see what great love the Father has lavished. Center everything on the great love that that he has lavished on us. You don't need to conjure anything up. 
What can subtly eke into our churches is if I just do this and do this and do that, then, and I don't even just mean earning our faith. Some of us, it's just even more subtler than that. To simply trust the grace of God, to just see and continue in what God has done for us. This is what God has done for you before it is anything else, before it is a conversation of heaven, before it is, here's all the ways you need to walk more righteously, before it is, here's all the ways that you need to become a more loving, generous, just force in the world, before it's anything else, it's this. John's story. It's not all the things he would not attest that here's all the stuff I did to get to this moment. No, he wasn't even really looking for the moment. It was in a place of utter honesty. It's almost like, I, I like to imagine that God just kind of like taking gently God's, John's, John's face and just turning it back toward him. See, see what great love, see what great love I have lavished on you. For I so loved you that I gave my only son for you that whoever would trust this, would believe in me, would covenant with this, would inherit the life of the ages. Some days when we come to church, we just need to be reminded that we need to continue in him. That's all John's saying to this church in this passage. Just continue in him. Continue in him that you might like, like people might look at you and they would know the Father. Continue in him. Continue in him. See what great love he's lavished on you. Continue in him. Filter everything you're going through through this that you might walk more righteously and beautifully. So, might we be a community, a church, that this week, in the wake of whatever is churning in your soul, may we continue in him. Peace be with you.